This morning, we're finishing up our series out of the book of Titus called Good, uh, and we're, we'll be finishing it all up. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Titus is a book or really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege Titus on the island of Crete. If you've been around, you've heard this. Crete was just off uh, the coast of Greece there, and Crete was known for being a wild island. I mean, just crazy. In Roman culture, if they're known as being wild, it's like super wild. It's beyond Vegas wild, wild. And the Apostle Paul is writing this um, for this purpose, uh, to help the Cretan church begin to live out this beautiful life they were intended and designed for uh, that the gospel calls us to. And so the major theme of this book is God's grace leads to anybody? Six of us have been here, all perfect. That's, a, that's always like the nerve-wracking part as a communicator. You've been preaching, and you're like, how good was your preaching? Obviously not good enough. We didn't, we'll get there. God's grace leads to what? Good living, that's right. And it's not the other way around. It's not good living leads to God's grace. We so often get that out of order that somehow if I'm a good person, if I do good things, then somehow I'll get God's favor. No, 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 no. You have God's favor. You are blessed. His grace is poured out on you. And out of that, it is a response of the wonder of his grace that you go, man, here's my life. That, that word good in the Greek is this Greek word kalos, which just means beautiful or wonderful or brilliant, this, this beautiful life. And so this morning, we're going to wrestle with this question as we close out this book. What does good living actually look like? Okay, God's grace leads to good living. What does good living really look like? There's lots of ways you could define good living, Right? Um, you could go, hey, good living is being able to jump on a plane tomorrow going to Italy. That seems like pretty good living. I think culturally defined good living a lot in America is this whole idea of, well, if you have your house, if you have, you know, all the right relationships, if you live in the right space, if you work at the right job, if you're successful, like, that's really good living. All the people that you look on Instagram that you follow and wish you could be, you're like, that's good living, and somehow I want to get there. In fact, maybe said a different way, the way we define good living in America, in our culture today, is good living is the ability to do what you want when you want to do it. It's the ability, it's the freedom to be able to do what you want. Whenever you want to do it, that has become our definition of what good living is. And if you kind of think about it, you're like, yeah, I would like to be able to travel anywhere I want. I'd like to be able to buy whatever I want. I'd like to be able to drive whatever I'd want. I'd like to be able and whenever I want. Here's what's fascinating. Take that thought, because that's uh, permeated all through our culture. Take that thought. Now, when I ask my kids what good living is, They cannot wait to be an adult. You know that. You remember this, right? You remember, remember as a kid, like, you cannot wait. I just want to grow up. And do you know why they cannot wait to be an adult? Because in their mind, they believe, and you get this, you remember this, they believe that when you're an adult, you get to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it, right? Think about this, because I was asking them, what does good living really look like? And, well, I get to play the Xbox, all the time. 
I, I get to eat candy all the time. I can stay up as late as I want. I cannot wait. And what's fascinating is if you ask any other parent about what is good living for their kids, it is not for their kids to be able to do what they want whenever they want. We actually begin to define good living as the type of person they are, the character they have, who they become, and how they live their life. And this is the shift that we need to make when we're thinking about what is really good living. What what does a good living actually look like in a broken world? What does good living as a follower of Jesus look like in a fallen and hostile environment? In your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your gym, in your coffee shop or bar. Like, how do we live out this beautiful, winsome, wonderful life that a watching world goes, wow, I don't necessarily agree with what you believe, but I cannot deny how you live. And so we're going to look at that and then answer the question, well, and why it matters so much. If you got your Bible or maybe your phone, would you open up to Titus chapter 3 as we finish up here? Uh, And the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 3 is going to tell us what good living looks like, how do you actually live it out, and why it matters so much. And so what does it actually look like? The Apostle Paul is going to give us just this one phrase, well, I I pulled from the text this one phrase, uh, of what good living really looks like. What does it look like? He's going to say that good living looks like a life that honors everyone always. That, that really good living, at its core, is a life that honors everyone, always. And he's going to give us actually six expressions of honor in the text. He's going to begin with, this is how you are to live out in a broken world. This is how you're to live in a community hostile to the gospel. This is just how Christians live. This is not a suggestion for followers of Jesus. This is the way of followers of Jesus. This is a command. He says, remind the people or God's people. Reminding is something you know but forgot about. Something you already know, but perhaps have lost sight. Remind God's people to be subject to rulers. First way we honor everyone always is this idea of subjecting or honoring those who are in authority or in governance. Politicians. Presidents. Man, it got quiet right there, didn't it? (laughs) Second area says to be obedient. To bring your life into accord with just like the laws of the land is what it's meaning. I I don't even agree with that law, but okay, I'm going to obey it. Uh, I struggle with stop signs. (laughs) I really do. I believe their suggestions. I really do. And what he's saying is is to honor, is, is to not just do your thing and realize there's no cars there. Why does it matter? Just roll on through. He says, no, 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 be obedient. Stop. To be ready to do whatever is good. Honoring always is that you're on the ready. That, that you're looking around and, and if there's a need, you feel it. If there's someone in, in crisis, you, you, you jump in. 
To slander no one. Honoring always means I'm going to be respectful with my words. I'm not going to disrespect you. I'm not going to diss you. I'm not going to speak negatively about you in front of you or behind you. Honoring is to be peaceable, to keep the peace, to pursue peace, to literally fight for the peace. And consider it. This word consider it, it has this idea of not insisting on your every right. Like honoring everyone always. You're like, how do you do that? Well, you don't insist on your every right. There's times, and this is hard for us Americans because it's all about our rights. Right? It says, no, no, no. Don't insist on your every right. And always, wow, that's quite often, isn't it? Be gentle or humble or meek. It's the quality of not being overly impressed with one's self-importance. Always be gentle toward, and say it with me, everyone. It says, what good living actually looks like, the type of people that you and I actually want to be around and want to be like, are the type of people that honor everyone Always. The type of people we want our kids to grow up are the type of people that honor everyone always. Honor is to recognize a person's intrinsic value and then treat them accordingly. Honor is to recognize a person's intrinsic value. Their God-given, imago Dei, made in the image of God value. Not by how they act, not by even the position they hold, but because they are an image bearer of God, then you treat them accordingly to the intrinsic value of who they are. And I think one of the things that catches us or trips us up in this whole idea of honor is we confuse honor and respect. And there's a difference. Let me go over it with you quickly. Honor versus respect. Honor is given. Respect is earned. See, I can honor someone I disagree with. I can honor someone I do not like. I can honor someone I do not respect. Just because their behavior is not respectful, I don't have respect for them, I can still treat them honorably because it has more to do with me than it does with them. Honor is a choice. Respect is a response. Honor, by the way, makes your life better. Let me tell you how. First, it gives you influence. Think about the people who have influence. They just are honoring those around them. It opens you up to wisdom because you're not shutting people down. You're actually listening. It frees you from bitterness. When you recognize, okay, I am God's, and he's called me to do this. I'm not going to be caught up in the milu. You know the word I'm going for. It changes the atmosphere. Have you ever been around a married couple, maybe an old married couple that doesn't honor one another? And it just sucks the life out of the room, doesn't it? And when you're around people that are honoring, especially when you see that they had the opportunity to not, it's just like, and they bring peace instead of hostility. It, 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 it elevates your attitude and impacts your approach. Honor says this. Honor says there is no one beneath me, and I will treat you as if you're above me. Honor says there is no one beneath me, 
and I will treat you as if you're above me. But honor is not being in agreement. Honor is not saying, hey, man, I really agree with you. Honor is not making the other person happy. You are not responsible for another human being's feelings. You, you, you can go, okay, I, it's not like if you're unhappy with me, it doesn't mean I dishonored you. It's how I approach and treat you. Honor is not tolerating abuse. You can set healthy boundaries and still be honoring. There are toxic people in your life that you need to set healthy boundaries and still honor. And honoring is not ignoring the past and somehow diminishing or dismissing that. God's people are called to honor everyone. Whether you agree or disagree, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you respect them or not, we are called to honor everyone always. And when you look at the life of Jesus and you study his life carefully, you watch that he lives this out. It's fascinating when you look at Jesus' life. There was no one beneath him in a culture that was constantly putting people beneath him. It, he gave such attention to kids when they were pushed off and said, don't, don't let them, you know, push, keep them from me. Let them come to me. He gave such honor to women in a society where women were dishonored. He gave such honor to lepers, the untouchable of society, the outcast. You know, Jesus can do miracles any way he wants. And yet he chose to touch people many times, saying, you're loved. And though nobody has ever touched you in a long time and given you love in an appropriate way, I'm going to touch you and heal you because you are valuable, your intrinsic worth. And it's fascinating because if you look at Jesus' life, he was honoring and yet drew strong lines when it came to the religious Pharisees as well. He never dishonored them even in his disagreement with them. See, we as followers of Jesus are called to honor everyone always. That's what a good living really looks like. Well, how do we do that? Apostle Paul is going to give us three ways that we're, going to, that we're able to do this. First, he's going to say, remember God's great grace in your life. That is the only way we can actually honor everyone always. Remember God's great grace in your life. Don't forget first he's going to say where you came from. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. At one time we were idiots. One time we were lost. One time we were broken. At one time... And so what he's saying here is there's no place for any sense of superiority. What he's saying here is there's no place for any sense of judgmentalism. What he's saying here is there's no place where any follower of Jesus should ever look down on another human being. He says, you remember God's great grace and how far God has taken you. Well, what is God's great grace? But when the kindness, underline that word, kindness, and the love, love, underline love, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Who did the saving? Help me. 
God, thank you very much. How? Well, not because of righteous things we had done. You did nothing and could do nothing to earn or deserve God's grace. But because of his underlying mercy, he saved us. His love, his kindness, he saved you out of his mercy. He saved us, how? By the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, now notice this, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I think whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, many or most in this room would absolutely agree that good living is actually honoring everyone always. In fact, many people are saying, I want to go and try to do that. The difference with the gospel is that the gospel says the transformation begins on the inside and you have a spirit empowering you to live out a brand new life so that you can do what you could not do on your own because the Holy Spirit is now empowering you to live out this brand new life to honor those who you struggle to honor. Moralism says from the outside, I'm going to try to fake it till I make it and just be a good moral person and inside everything else in your, the world, the In your inner world, the war is raging. He says, no, no, no. You have the Spirit of God whom he's poured out on you generously so that having been justified by his grace, justified means legally declared righteous, we might become heirs. Circle that word, heirs. Adopted. Beneficiary. your new identity and standing with God. You once were in a bad spot. You once and I once were lost and broken, desperate. And God in his grace said, I love you. And I'm bringing you into my family. I'm bringing you in and now you are a child God. Now you are a son and a daughter of the King Most High. And as an heir, you have full right and authority as his kids. As an heir, everything God has is at your disposal. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. See, if we're going to be uh, honoring everyone always, we've got to remember God's great grace in our life. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Stress this so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what's good. These are excellent, profitable for everyone. Here's what he's saying. You're not better than anyone. You're just a beneficiary of God's grace. You're not better than anyone. You're just a beneficiary of God's grace. And it changes your attitude, your approach to every single person you come across. This last week, I was driving with my boys running an errand. And I pull up to the stoplight, and there's a car right there. And I look over, and it happens to be a guy that I went to high school with, a guy who was a bully in high school. And I see him, and I kind of look over and see what he's driving, and I'm doing some internal comparisons. And... Now, when I was a senior in high school, I think he was a senior in high school. He might have been a junior, but he was a big dude. He's about 6'4", kind of stocky, built guy. Uh, we were in band class, which I know is the coolest class to ever be in. 
And we were in band class, and he just started picking on this little freshman girl and just putting her down publicly in front of everyone. And there's just this little justice gene that I have in me. And so I remember in the middle of class, you know, I don't know where the teacher was, public SoCal High School, I don't know. Um, And I remember um, probably not honoring, so let's just be clear, I was a senior in high school, but I put him in his place in front of everybody and came to, like, stand up for this little girl. Well, later that day, we happened to be down at the baseball field, and he was carrying a bat, and he was John with me. And, and he came at me with a bat and attacked me with a bat and just came swinging at my legs. And eventually some teachers uh, broke it up, and, I mean, the administration was called. He was expelled. There was a straining, restraining order issued. Yeah, it was not a big, not a small deal. About seven or eight years later, we're, uh, I'm going into my brother's clinic. He's a physical therapist, uh, and he has, has his own clinic. I'm going into his clinic just to say hi over in Santa Cruz, and g- guess who he's working on in his clinic? It's this dude, right? And I'm going like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I just kind of walk out, and I just want to leave it alone. He begins to brag to his physical therapist, who is my brother, about that guy. He's like, yeah, I totally hit. I, I don't know if that's how he talks, but that's how he talks in my, <laughs> in, in my mind. I totally hit that guy with the baseball bat in high school. And my brother's like doing, you know, physical therapy. And I'm like, I hope you hurt him, you know. Real godly response. Fast forward, we're at the parking, we're at the stoplight. And I look over, and, and he's just got that, you know, single, approaching, middle age, like, never left high school look guy. And something began to bubble up in my heart in that moment as I looked over, because I'm looking at my life and have these beautiful two boys in the back, and I'm just thinking, how much better am I than you? And then God says, no, no, no. You're not. You're just a beneficiary of my grace. You're not better than anyone, Ingram. You're not. And when we act like that, we treat those around us as if they're less than. And when we understand that we stand in the shadow of grace and his love has outpoured on us, then we look at everyone around us and go, no, 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 there's nothing that I have that I deserve. I'm just a beneficiary of grace. And can I introduce you to Jesus? See, when we honor everyone always, the way we do it is we have to remember, we have to remember, we always have to get back to God's great grace in our life. And then he's going to say that to do that, to honor everyone always, we, we have to stay away from foolish arguments. Man, our world needs this word right now. Stay away from foolish arguments. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us to avoid destructive conversations, and yet he's still going to say address divisive people. He says this, but avoid foolish controversies, just stupid stuff to argue about. Literally, that word foolish is stupid. Genealogies, these are the things that you kind of use to puff your up, yourself up, your pedigree, why you're more important than someone else. Arguments and quarrels about the law. And how many times have you seen just Christians arguing about the Bible with other Christians 
and intense disputes. He says, stay away from foolish arguments, and yet there is this reality that we need to address divisive people, destructive people. He says, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. That's strong. Like, come on, that's not very Christian of you. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, I believe it's Necessary Endings, he talks about three types of people that the Proverbs speak of. The first type of person is the wise person. A wise person learns from their mistakes. A wise person sees the truth and understands the truth and then adjusts their lives to the truth and what's true. Uh, Then he says there's a second person. It's a foolish person. A foolish person doesn't learn from their mistakes. In fact, it takes a lot of pain for them to ever come to their senses. A foolish person, here's what a foolish person tries to do. A foolish person takes the truth and tries to adjust the truth to their lives and defend why they're living that way. Well, I'm different. I want to do this. And then he says, and then Proverbs, there's this person, an evil person. We've come to go, well, everyone's basically good. Well, look around. There's some people that are out to cause you harm. They want to inflict pain. In fact, there's some toxic people that you've allowed in your life out of Christian kindness that you need not. And in the church world, there's this divisive people. Jesus talked about this. He said to watch out for false teachers. Watch out for these. They come cloaked like sheep, but they're actually wolves in sheep clothing. They come to destroy. They come to get against everything that God stands for. See, divisive people are people who speak real spiritually, make everything over spiritual, but you often feel guilty and ashamed. And you look at their life, and it doesn't correspond to what God's word says. He says, warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped, sinful, they're self-condemned. And so, how do we stay away from these foolish arguments? And how do we address divisive or destructive people? Let me give you a few questions to ask. Before you speak or post, would you ask these questions? First, Is it godly? Before you speak, before you post, is it godly? I mean, is what I'm going to say going to honor God? Is what I'm going to say, does it align up with God's word? Before you speak or post, ask, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Will this be beneficial and productive? Or will this be harmful? Ask, is it helpful, not do I have the right to? Um, this past week, this week's been a week, man. This past week, uh, my wife was out front, and we have incredible neighbors, love our neighbors. And there's this one neighbor, kind of a cantankerous neighbor. Uh, we don't really know, but they're on the, kind of on the other block, but they're, you know, part of their house is on our block. It's at the end of the block. And... We've always been friendly with them, and they've kind of picked fights with a few of the neighbors, and, but we've never had any problem with them at all, and just always had, hey, how are you? Just kind of casual highs. 
Well, this, this woman's riding by our house in her bike with her daughter, and Jenny just stops and goes, hey, how are you? And says, hi, great to see you. And the woman stops, turns to her, and this is how I understand it, so you can ask my wife about the real story, and just simply says, um, can you make sure your gardeners don't put your grass clippings in front of our house? And then rides off. And that was it. And she's like, no, hello? And then she's thinking, well, our, you know, we rent this place and we, gardeners included. And so, are, you know, are our gardeners doing that? And so she watches our gardeners. They don't even leave the clippings in front of our house. They take them with them. Well, you know, I'm a justice guy. I'm a fairness guy. And that irked me. And I just so wanted to put her in her place. And I know the conversation she's had with other neighbors and how mean she's been in different things. And I'm just like, I want to put her in her place. And then the Holy Spirit, I mean my wife, (laughs) said, is it helpful? That actually isn't helping the situation. Jen Hatmaker had this great line. She said, you don't have to run or show up to every fight you're invited to. Man, we need that. Is it godly? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it kind? Right next to kind, I want you to write this, for your good. Because this is important when it talks about staying away from foolish arguments and addressing divisive people. We confuse kindness with niceness. They're different. Kindness is always for your good. But it does not always feel good. Okay? Niceness is so that you always feel good. But it is not always for your good. Let me give you an example. Last week in our marriage in class, I was teaching. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and afterwards, we're doing Q&A, and I decided to sit on the table, and the projector happened to be on. And I was hanging out and talking, fielding questions, and the projector was on. And so it was projecting on the wall and on my forehead. And there happened to be this line that said, press any button. Well, you can only imagine where button fell. It actually fell right across my forehead. So as I kind of leaned, it literally said, but, on my head. (laughs) But head. I was a butt head right up front the entire time. For 20 to 30 minutes, I have a butt on my head, and I have really nice people in front of me, and they said nothing. (laughs) Said nothing. Not one thing. For 20, 30 minutes, but, and I'd lean over her, and later I find out, like, Roland, sweet Roland, our uh, youth guy, he just kept going, like, I can't wait till he leans back and it says butthead right on his forehead. Well, Christina walks in near the end, and she kind of raises her hand and says, um, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, you're this butt right there on your head. And we, we had an incredible laugh, and I was a little embarrassed. Everyone in that room was nice. (laughs) Christina was kind. (laughs) See, kind doesn't always feel good, but it is always for your good. Don't confuse it with niceness. Is it 
kind. And when you're addressing someone or something, okay, my heart is for your good. My heart is for the good of others, what I'm going for. And it doesn't always necessarily feel good. Before you speak or post, is it godly? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Have I listened? How do we live out this honoring everyone always? Remember God's great grace. Stay away from foolish arguments. And then he's going to give us one final call is this, to put into practice doing good every day. To put it into practice. Notice what he says. Our people must learn. Underline that word learn. It, it, it means a skill to be developed. Something that you, you learn and then you put into practice and you develop it and you get better and better. Like you're learning how to dribble a basketball. You're, you're learning how to sing. You're learning how to play the guitar. It is a skill that you begin to learn, that you begin put into practice. And as you put into practice, it becomes second nature. But it doesn't start second nature. And for some, you're going like it doesn't feel second nature because you've got to put it into practice. You have to learn it. Our people must learn to devote themselves. It means to put that as a first priority to doing what's good in order, now don't miss this, in order to provide for urgent needs, both big and small, and not live unproductive lives. What's at stake is an unproductive life. At the end of my life, you wonder, will anything matter? Will anything, will I have anything to show for? And he says, when you devote yourself to good living, you will. Honor everyone, always. You got to put it into practice, put it into practice. Parents, you got to model it. You got to model it. Um, I'm trying to do this with my boys. Uh, we were on that errand, same with that, um, we're, you know, where I saw the bully. That's how he'll forever be known in my thing. And we're, we're going to the mall. And so as we walked into the mall, I saw there's a number of people behind me. And it's like, just devote yourself to doing good. Just small things, little things. I want my boys to get it. So I opened the door and they zoom right in. But I'm holding it for other people to come in. Just like, hey, this is just what you do. We, we're going to be considerate, even in the small things. And they're, you know... I, Three or four people walk in, and my boys are just like doing circles in front of it. So they're running into all the people that I just let walk through. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. That wasn't very good. Uh, but then I sat, and I was just like, hey, guys, so we're going to hold the door for them, and we're going to let other people go through. Okay, so we go do our errand, and we come back out. And so I hold the door, and there's a young mom with... Uh, couple kids coming out, stroller, and trying to help them get out. And she looks at me and goes, oh, I know you. She goes to our church. You have no idea who's watching you when you decide to do good. In that moment, I mean, if I was in my own world, if I wasn't aware, if I just wasn't just thinking about this passage and going, no, 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 I'm going to put it into practice. I want to model it for my kids. And then in that moment, she could have seen, wow, what a jerk of a pastor. He just kind of walked on through. I have these, you know, two small kids and I'm just trying to get through. What a jerk. Are you kidding me? He just kind of kept going. And how often that probably does happen. Where it says, put into practice doing good every day. Paul would say it this way to the church in Ephesians, for it's by grace you've been saved 
back to God's grace, grace, great grace in your life. And this not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Yet we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, if you don't put into practice doing good every day, you'll miss the good work God prepared for you to do. We started this series, and I asked you to pray this prayer. I'm going to close it this way. Would you pray this prayer every day? Commit. Seven days. Next seven days. I'm going to pray this at the beginning of my day. Heavenly Father, would you help me to see the good you've prepared for me? Like today, I'm going to put into practice. I'm going to put it into practice. I'm going to learn, and it might be a little choppy. I might be like the boys kind of circling around and trying to do good, but I'm actually running into people. That's okay. You're making progress. I'm going to put it into practice. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, would you help me to see the good you prepared for me? And why does good living matter so much? Why does honoring everyone always such a big deal? Because God transforms communities through the good work of his people. It's not somehow you and I saying, ew, that outside world's bad, and we're just going to tell everyone how bad it is, or we're going to retreat and have our holy huddle. God says, the agency for transformation on this planet is I've deposited my spirit inside of you. I created a supernatural community called the church, and the church is not a place that you hide. The church is on the move, so much so that Jesus said that the gates of hell will not overcome. It means that the church is advancing in this world, not retreating from it. He says, God will transform your neighborhood through the good works of his people. God will transform our city through the good work of his church. God will transform your school place and your workplace through the good work of his people. And Jesus said it this way, you are the light of the world. Present tense, reality. Not will be. Not could be. Not if you get your act together. He said, you presently are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God, that my life, my life, I, I would honor everyone always so that, so that when people ask, how do you respond to the boss that way? How do you respond to that neighbor that way? How do you do that? You just go, it's Jesus, man. Like my life just is redirecting others to Jesus. It's like, you know, in and of myself, here's how I want to respond, but Jesus has just changed me. His grace has overwhelmed me. Imagine. Think about this. Imagine the impact the church would have if we decided we were actually going to honor everyone always. I mean, just imagine if that's what we were known for in the West. A people. Now, we don't agree with everything. We, we, don't, we don't have our act together, and we're not going to treat anyone as if they're lower or that we're better than, but we're going to honor you. We're going to honor you every time. It's my default. Why? Grace. I've been given grace, so i got to give grace. I mean, just imagine. Imagine if we just started doing it in this room. If we just started doing it with one another. 
Think about the culture and the impact it would have just on our community. If we said, no, 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 that's the type of church we're going to be. That's the type of people we're going to be. That's who we are. That's just the way of Jesus followers. That's who we are. Imagine. Imagine the impact. And what God wants to do when people say, man, Jesus, I'll follow you. Thank you for your grace. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the time together. Got to think of the person in here that when I talk about honoring everyone always, there's someone that popped up in their heart and mind that that's really difficult to honor because they don't respect them. They've been deeply wounded by them. God, I, I ask that you would give them the wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to do it with what they just heard. God, I, I pray for the person in this room that, that has, has drifted. Maybe has, has never experienced your grace. That in this moment, you would, you would pour out your love, that they would respond to you, they would cry out, God, help, and you would save them, not because of anything they did, but because of your great mercy, and they would experience the overwhelming washing and rebirth and renewal of your spirit inside of them, and it's simply a call, Jesus, help. God, would you make us a people? Would you make us a church? that lives out this culture of honor for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' strong name.